Thanks for listening to the Crosspoint Podcast. This is the Young Adults Ministry of the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Here we desire to see this generation of young adults reached and revived with the gospel of Christ. We believe our generation has the opportunity to change the world as we know it. We'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Franklin Road Baptist Church. Our prayer is that our podcast will help you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy the Crosspoint Podcast. Um, Leviticus is where we're going to be today. Are you serious? You can get a lesson out of Leviticus? Yes, you can, all right? So Leviticus chapter number four, if you got your Bibles, Leviticus chapter number four is where we're going to be. If you did not get a handout, Justin is standing, so he's going to bring them around. <laughs> so uh, if you did not get a handout, normally I don't advertise these, but uh, it is crucial to today's lesson. So if you did not get a handout, you are going to walk out of class and say, ah, he talked for a really long time and I'm not sure what he said. So there's a lot of cross-references, there's a lot of um, support verses for what we're going to talk about today, and so I want you to have one of those. We started a series last week as they're kind of handing those out, Um, but we started a series last week entitled, Is It Well With My Soul? And so we started out with really, what is the concept of the soul how do you define it? How, how do you explain it? And then why does it matter? And so just for a little bit of a sake of review, let me recap that. We said, what is the soul? The soul is not your body, although the soul affects the body. The soul is not your mind, although your soul affects your mind. Okay, Your soul is not your spirit, although your soul affects your spirit, or if you want to say it this way, your will or conscience. Okay, So it's not any of those things. So a lot of times we we say, well, my body is made up of body, mind, and spirit. That's 100% accurate. The soul is what is all-encompassing of those. So we talked about last week that if, there, if the soul is not healthy, that it doesn't matter because about the body. The body can be a picture of physical fitness, and yet it will still be unhealthy if the soul is not healthy. The, uh, the mind can be strong mentally and stable, but if the soul is not healthy, then that affects the mind as well. If the spirit, if you say, well, I've, I've learned how to overcome, and I've learned how to will myself to what I want to do, but if your soul is not healthy, then your spirit or your will will also not be healthy. And so that leads us to really this thought today. We closed last week with really the illustration and the story behind the song that we just sung. And it was of a man whose family had passed away and whose, uh, whose really daughters had passed away on a voyage over to England after he had just lost all of his financial um, stability in Chicago through the Chicago fire. And as he was crossing over the place where his daughters died, he wrote the words that you just sang. And he said, it is well with my soul. And so here's the conclusion that we came to last week is that if your soul is well, then the rest of you will be well as well. That was hard to say, okay? But your soul health, the wellness of your soul, dictates the wellness of everything else in your life. If the soul is unhealthy, then it doesn't matter how the body may look or feel, you will be unhealthy. 
If the soul is healthy and the mind is unhealthy, the soul will eventually override that. So here's where we come to today for lesson number two. If the soul is that important, then let's look at possibly one of the greatest hurts of the soul, and that is sin. So today we're going to answer the question, how does sin affect my soul? How does sin affect my soul? So I want you to look at Leviticus chapter number 4. Now here's, what, here's kind of, let me give you a little bit of background, okay? I said last week that one of the things that I did in preparation for this series was that I printed off every time that the word soul was used in um, Scripture. Last week, we kind of gave you some of those numbers. Basically, your word for our word soul in your Old Testament and in your New Testament shows up 850 times. So sometimes we have, a, have this feeling like, well, maybe it's not that important. No, 850 times this word is mentioned in Scripture. So I think that that means that God probably wanted us to prioritize it, don't you? If he came to save our soul, we should probably prioritize it. Now I want you to listen to this statement right from the very beginning. A saved soul can also be a sinful soul. So it's going to be very easy to talk about, and we'll even get to this at the end, okay? But at the, it's going to be easy to say, well, Jesus Christ died, so sin doesn't matter. Sin still has an effect on your soul. In fact, on the plane ride last night at about 11.30, I read five studies, and this was not like, hey, Pastor so-and-so, why don't you go and conduct a study? Five studies done independently from public universities, from non-Christians, about how sin affects your soul and who you are at a deep level. So this wasn't like Pastor Norris was like, hey, well, let's go figure out how. No, this was people who was like, when you choose to do something immoral, when you choose to do something wrong, I'm actually going to give you probably the most humorous illustration of it in the introduction. But sin still affects your soul. Even though your soul will live eternally in heaven, sinlessly in eternity, you can still have an impact on your soul based off of how you choose to live and how you sin. So with that in mind, let's look at Leviticus chapter number 4, verse 2. This is something that popped off the page as reading through the 858 times this word shows up. So I want you to look at Leviticus chapter number 4, look at verse number 2. He says, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through ignorance... Now take your Bibles and turn to Leviticus 5, verse 1. 5, verse 1. One page over, probably. First five words. And if a soul sin, and hear the voice of swearing, and is a witness. Look at verse number 15. And if a soul commit a trespass and sin through ignorance in the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring for his trespass unto the Lord. Verse 17, and if a soul sin, look at chapter number 6, verse 2, and if, or not and, if a soul sin and commit a trespass against the Lord. Several times throughout Leviticus, this is just the bottom of the barrel, sin is introduced not in a physical form, although it will require physical action. Sin is not introduced in a mental form, although it will require mental action. 
Sin is not introduced in a spirit or a will or a conscience form, although your sin will affect all of those things, but it is introduced in the book of the law as if a soul shall sin. So if your soul is sinful and if your soul sins, what can we do about that? Let's pray and let's ask God to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the day that you've given us. We thank you for the opportunity to look at this topic. Lord, you know that I'm tired. I need your help. Lord, you know that there is a lot of information that lays before us, so I pray that you'd help me to use my time wisely, speak only the words that you would have me to say, and to help us to see that sin affects us at a very deep level. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take that thought and that we would uh, evaluate our hearts and our lives that we may rid them of sin so that, we can, so that we can continue in fellowship and relationship with you. Lord, give us a good rest of the day. Lord, I pray that you bless the service to follow. In your name we pray. Amen. I read a statement the other day as I was kind of studying. I was reading some stuff on the soul. And uh, a man said this. He said, sin disintegrates the soul. I want you to write that down because it, it, it struck me. A lot of times we use disintegrates as a word that... that it, it almost means to wear away. It's not fast, but it's also not slow. It's just that steady process of chipping away. And he said, sin disintegrates the soul. How many of you have ever maybe sat on the beach or you have, and you've watched the waves crash and with every crash of the wave, what happens? It pulls a little bit of sand back with it. Maybe you've, you've sat, even if, you have, if you've been around a lake or something, and you see the wakes come in, and with every little wake that comes in off of a lake, it pulls a little bit of the earth back with it. Okay, That is exactly what sin does to your soul. It doesn't take it over in one big swoop. It just slowly chips away at it. And so when we say sin disintegrates the soul, it almost sounds like, well, that's not that bad. But here's what you have to understand about disintegration, is that eventually it does get bad. Eventually there has to be something that builds it back up to get it to this point. So I know that sin is not the best thing for me. Sometimes we think this, that sin's not the best thing for me. But to say that it will cause me to lose who I am seems a little bit dramatic, doesn't it? Sin can change you, but it is not a quick change. It is often slow and steady. One of the studies that I read, it was actually done at Harvard, Duke, and North Carolina. It talked about how fake adornment affects people. So I want you to listen to this. Girls, you will like this. In the study, 100 women were given an expensive pair of name brand sunglasses. Okay, But 50 of them were told that the expensive pair that they had been given were fake. So 50, half of them were told that they were fake. Of those 50, the group that had the fake sunglasses were more willing to lie. I want you to listen to this. More willing to lie, steal, and cheat to make themselves look better in a situation. They were also, when asked about other people, were more cynical toward them than the people whose sunglasses were real. Now that seems very shallow and is probably not 100% obviously accurate, but here's what it said, here's what it basically the conclusion of the study was. Is that when we know that something is wrong with us and we're hiding it, we're a lot more likely to do more and go further down a road. That when we know that there's something deep digging at us, 
and that we're lying or that we're covering up who we are, all of a sudden that next sin is just a little bit easier. All of a sudden that next lie is just a little bit easier. And sin is not something that is just, well, all of a sudden I just fell into immorality. All of a sudden I just fell. No, no, no. Sin is slow and it just chips away. And it may be one lie, but then guess what? The next lie is much easier. It may be one look at something, but then next, the next look is a lot easier. It may just be one episode of a bad show, but then all of a sudden the next episode and the season and, and watching the whole series now is a lot easier. Why? Because we didn't take care of the first sin. We didn't take care of the first thing, so we allowed our soul to go to a place to where we never should have gotten. And so in our passages today, here's what we see, that a soul will sin. The problem is not going to be to make sure that your soul does not sin. The problem will be is to make sure that your soul knows how to handle sin. And so with that in mind, I want us to answer three questions today. First of all, how can a soul sin? How can a soul sin? And here's what I want you to understand, is that if God was willing to send His Son to save your soul, to make it sinless, to make it perfect, so that you can stand before Him one day and not, not face judgment, so that you can stand before God and live in heaven in relationship for eternity with God, then why would He not want you to live as close to sinlessly on this life as you can? Sometimes we think that, well, I've got God's grace, and that's great, but we don't understand what the effects of sin do to us. So how can a soul sin? This is just straight out of the books of the law. First of all, a soul can sin through ignorance. You see that in Leviticus 4, verse 2, which one of the verses we said. He said, if a soul shall sin through ignorance. You say, you mean that I can sin and not even know that? I yeah, 100%. I firmly believe that there are a lot of people that will sin not knowing or they'll do something that breaks the law of God not knowing that they did it. But watch this. That sin, even though done in ignorance, makes the next one just as easy. That sin, even though maybe, ah, well, I, it could be okay, it could not be okay, I don't really know where it falls on the moral scale, and as soon as you step over that line, then now all of a sudden, the ones that you do know become a little bit easier. So a soul can sin through ignorance. Notice secondly, that a soul can sin through what it hears. Look at Leviticus chapter number 5, verse 1. He says, and if a soul sin and hear the voice of swearing, you mean I sin if I hear a curse word? I don't know that that's what it's talking about. Listen to this. And is a witness whether he hath seen or known of it. If he do not utter it, then he shall bear his iniquity. A soul sins through what it hears. So let me ask you this. What have you listened to lately? I'm not talking just strictly about music here, okay? What have you listened to lately? Have you been guilty of listening to gossip? Have you been guilty of listening to maybe things that are not pleasing to God? Have you been guilty of listening to things that you know that if God were present with you, which by the way He is, that if you knew that God was there, you would say, eh, I probably don't need to partake in that. So a soul can sin through what it hears. But then notice thirdly, that a soul can sin through what it touches. Through what it touches. Look at Leviticus 5 verse 2. He says, or if a soul touch any unclean thing, thing, whether it be a carcass of an unclean beast or a carcass of unclean cattle or the carcass of unclean creeping things, and if it be hidden from him, he also shall be unclean. 
Look at uh, Leviticus 22, verse 6. You don't have to take time to turn there, but it is in your notes. The soul which hath touched any such shall be unclean until even, and shall not eat of the holy things unless he wash his flesh with water. So your soul sins by what it touches. By what it touches. Did you know that most people, and I, I want to be careful how I say this, most people don't go from just talking, when we're speaking of the opposite sex, most people don't go from there immediately to adultery or immorality. Why? Because sin disintegrates the soul. So what started in innocence that possibly moved to something to where there's a line, I'm not sure if I touched, crossed it, I'm not sure if I reached over it, there's a line, well now all of a sudden it's just like that wave. And before you know it, you have placed yourself in a position to where what started in innocence has now reached a point of absolute rebellion against God. And it could have just started with a touch that Maybe, I don't know, I, I mean, was it wrong, was it not? It just kind of depends on who you talk to. Why? Sin disintegrates, it chips away at the soul. It's just going to keep beating it. Just keep pulling a little bit back, and before you know it, you have placed yourself in a position where you thought, man, I know, I, I, I was here and I didn't know, but now I'm here and I do know. So a sin, uh, soul sins through what it touches. A sin, sins, or soul sins through trespasses against God, uh, number five, or letter E. Through trespass, or sorry, letter D, through what it says. Leviticus chapter number five, verse four. Or if a soul swear, pronouncing with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatsoever it be that a man shall pronounce with an oath, and if it be, and it be hid from him, when he knoweth it, then he shall be guilty in one of these. So through what it says, what have you been talking about? What have you been saying? Have, your, have your, the words of your soul and the words of your heart, have they been seasoned with salt, as the Bible says? Are you speaking truth? Or are you living dishonestly? Letter E. A soul sins through trespasses against God. Through trespasses against God. He says that we sin or our soul sins when we commit a trespass. Leviticus 5.15 says, If a soul commit a trespass and sin through ignorance in the holy things of the Lord, verse, uh, chapter number 6, verse 2, And if a soul sin and commit a trespass against the Lord and lie unto his neighbor. So here's where we're at. Your soul is capable of sin. If it were not capable of sin, you would not need a Savior. But to say that even though you have accepted Christ as your Savior, that sin does not affect you is 100% wrong. At the root of every problem in our world today is a sin problem. You can take it and you can make it, you can paint it, you can make it a movement, you can put hashtags with it, but at the end of the day, sin is the root problem. We can call racism racism, but at the root of that is a soul-sickening sin. We can call homosexuality pride and put a rainbow on it, but at the root of that is sin. We can call adultery love and, well, this is what my heart has dreamed of, and, but at the root of it is sin. 
And so let's focus on the problem. And as Christians, let's diagnose it and know how to handle it. So how could something so small chip away at who I am? I want you to see this. What happens when a soul sins? So that's how a soul sins. But now what happens? Straight out of the books of the law, here's what happens. First of all, sin brings a burden to the soul. Sin brings a burden to the soul. Look at Leviticus 5, verse 17. He says, And if a soul sin and commit any of these things, which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he wist it not, yet is he guilty, and shall bear his iniquity. How many of you, you've ever had to stand in front of someone that you lied to? Maybe it was a mom or a dad. You don't don't have to raise your hand because that would be you confessing your sin, okay? And I'm not the Pope, okay? it's, It's hard, isn't it? To stand in front of someone that you know that you might be hiding something from. Why? Even though they may not know, there's a burden there, isn't it? There's kind of this, well, what if they do know? Well, what if they don't know? What 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 if what if I said something? Did I say that right? There's a burden to your soul when sin is there. Why? Because you are bearing your iniquity. You're bearing the burden of that sin in your soul. Then secondly, sin cuts off a soul from others. I want you to listen to this because this generation is highly, highly relational, supposedly but the truth is, is we stink at it, okay? Like we talk about, oh, I just love being around people. And it's like, no, you don't. You like looking at people on Instagram, okay? That's not being around people. That's being with your phone. Sin, and I want you to listen to this, sin affects your relationships. In the study that I've looked at with this word, This is what shows up more than anything else. I think that I got the count up to at least 10 or 11. You've got most of them in your Bible there. But he says this, Exodus 12, 15, it says, That soul shall be cut off from Israel. Exodus 31, 14, That soul shall be cut off from among his people. Uh, Leviticus 7, 20, it says, Having uncleanness upon him, even that soul shall be cut off from his people. Verse 21, Moreover, the soul that shall touch any unclean thing is the uncleanness of man or the unclean beast. It says, uh, let me get down. It says, Even that soul shall be cut off from his people. Multiple, multiple times. He says, sin cuts you off from those around you. And here's where we're at as a group of young adults. We say we're relational. Oh, I just, I I love people. I'm an Enneagram 79. I just love people. Like, I just want to kiss them when they show up. Okay, lie again, all right? Like, I just, I just want to hang out. Like, I, I just, like, I want to be in a group Bible study. I don't want Bible, to do Bible study on my own. And here's what we do is sometimes we say, well, I'm super relational. And then you know what? All the people that are super relational that I hang out with, when I sit across the table from them, they're like, so how was your day? It was great. Talk, okay? I thought you were relational. Like, this is, this is a relationship, so let's talk. And here's why I think that we actually struggle with relationships. is because when we are not right with God, it is impossible for us to be right with others. 
Why? When you have deep hidden sin in your life that no one else knows about, you probably don't want to be super relational, do you? When you have deep hidden sin in your heart and you come sit in this room, you're probably not like, I just can't wait to go meet all the new people, right? Hi, I'm, I'm Holy Joe so-and-so. I'm right with God. No, I'm not. That's what your soul's saying, right? I can't wait to go tell someone about Jesus, right? Why? Because you've got something going on in your heart that kind of makes you say, well, I don't want to be around people. What if, they, what if they ask how I'm doing? I'm doing awful. I'm hiding sin. I've got bitterness in my heart. We don't like that. And the reason, I want you to listen to this, okay? The reason that this generation struggles relationally probably more than other, other or past generations is because the sins of past generations were pretty much public. But you know what we've gotten really good is we've gotten really good at perfecting the private sin life and then struggling in our public relation life. Your sin, as it chips away at your soul, will eventually make you an awkward hot mess to be around relationally. It's hard to date when you've got impure thoughts. It's hard to talk with, with people when all, you've, when all you've done that weekend is fill your life with smut. And by the way, I'm not necessarily saying that anyone in this room has deep, dark sin, and if you do get it right, let someone help you talk to someone, repent, and get it, get it right, okay? But I don't know that that's what most Christians struggle with. I think we struggle with, well, dishonesty. In one of the books that I read, it, talk, it gave an illustration about this. It said that we get comfortable telling the little lies. So someone says, hey, did you send that email? Oh, yeah, I sent that email, knowing that you didn't. But here's what you do. You justify it. Well, I, I meant to send it, so that counts as sending it. No, that, in that moment, that's a lie. And so guess what? The next time something comes around, that lie is just easier. And do you think that you're going to be excited to go stand face-to-face -face with that person when you say, yeah, I sent that email, and you didn't? No. Hey, let's go hang out this weekend, guy that I lied to. So it cuts you off from people, but then possibly the greatest thing is this. Sin not only affects you interpersonally and relationally, but sin affects you spiritually, and I've got to hustle. Look at letter C. Sin cuts off a soul from God. Verse number 10 of chapter number 17, it says, And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn among you that eateth any manner of blood. So now he's, he's touched something. He's, in, he's taken something in. I will even set my face. This is God speaking. I will set my face against the soul. Sin causes God to say, all right, I see that you've chosen your sin over me. So I will set my face against it. Leviticus 22, verse 3. It says, having his uncleanness upon him, that soul shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. When you sin, your soul fills the burden you feel the weight of the distance between those you love, but most importantly, you feel the distance building between you 
and your Creator. Why when I lie, do even though it was a small lie, why when I lie do I feel that? It's because you just distanced yourself from the God that you were called to glorify. Someone once called conviction, it is referred to as God's given ache for goodness. Your heart desires to be good. But the sad truth is that many of us, few of us, will ever achieve that without the help of God. So lastly, and we'll be done. What can be done about a sinful soul? Letter A, the sinful soul must be saved. Even in the Old Testament, Numbers 15, verse 28, it says that there was an opportunity for atonement. When a soul sinned, there was an opportunity for atonement. Hebrews 10, 39 says, But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but unto them that believe to the saving of the soul. James 5, 20 says that, Let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death. So it must be saved. But then secondly, the sinful soul must be set apart. It says, And the very God of peace sanctify you, that set you apart holy. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and body be, be preserved blameless under the coming of God. But then the sinful soul must battle sin. It must battle sin. Look at 1 Peter 2, verse 11. It says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims to abstain fleshly lust, which war against the soul. You say, okay. What's that mean? Which, by the way, my iPad died and I had to cut my paper without a little measuring thing and it's driving me absolutely crazy because it's not even close to right, all right? You say, why, why talk about that right now? We're getting ready to head into what we call our fall tent revival. When we talk about re revival, when we talk about getting right with God, one of the aspects of that is sin. And I know that the people in this room are good people. That's why you're here today, okay? You get your sticker on your sticker chart for coming to church. But even though your soul is saved for eternity, does not mean that sin no longer affects it. Why? I think even more so now that you know you're saved, sin should be, with every little disintegration, every little chipping away, it's like, ah, oh, man. So what do you do about that? I know some of you guys need to leave. If you need to slip out, go ahead. You do what letter C just said. You battle against it. He says, fleshly lust, abstain from fleshly lust that war against the soul. You wake up tomorrow and you say, God, I'm going to fight my flesh today with your help. God, I'm going to put myself in a position to keep sin out of my soul. If it means turning off the television, if it means disconnecting the internet, if it means not spending time with that friend that possibly drags you down or that says something that you know is not right, whatever it takes, Get the sin out of your life. And here's what I think that you will see. Is that as you do that, your soul will find refreshment in God. Why? Because here's the truth, is that sin does bring pleasure. But as the Bible says, it brings it only for a season. You get that little rush, like, oh man, that was great. But then guess what? 
the consequences set in. You have to look yourself in the mirror. Sin disintegrates the soul. But when we can get that settled down, when we can get that wave worked further back from our soul, when we can get that wake away from us, guess what? Now I can be refreshed by God. I can find joy in doing what He wants, which is what's going to lead us into next week's lesson. How does obedience affect the soul? If sin affects that much, how does obedience affect my soul? Let's pray and we'll be done. Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.